Hi, this is Carolyn Cromies. Welcome back to the Quick and Extreme Podcast, where we're filming live at World of Concrete. And today I have a very special guest, my second guest, live guest at World of Concrete, uh, Leslie Shiner with the Shiner Group. Hey, Miss Leslie, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Great. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show. Sure. So tell me a bit about Shiner, like who you are. Tell me the backstory of how you got to where you are. So I've started in 19, yep. quite a while ago, let's just say. <clears throat> I started my business actually doing financial management for two types of companies or industries, nonprofits and construction. I found they were very similar. Um, sorry. But I got rid of the nonprofit component and I only work with contractors. And the thing that I found, and I, I work with contractors to help them improve profitability. That's the goal. They spend a lot of time and energy. They should be profitable. So that's my goal is to work with them, help them understand the numbers. If you start out small, you can pretty much run by the gut. But the problem with that is as you grow or hire people, those gut feelings don't make you make the right decisions. So that's what my business is, is consulting with small to mid-sized contractors and helping them understand their numbers and how to use that so they can improve and become more profitable. Gotcha. That's awesome. And, um, so. Kind of walk us through like your ideal client and how they would start and where they kind of fit. So I have clients that are in sort of all sort of ranges. Usually what I work with are, are clients that have five to 15 employees. They are just sort of growing. You know, the, the whole book, The E-Myth, basically the theory says that still skills that got you where you are today are not the skills that are going to get you where you need to be tomorrow so i work with them and say okay we've got to get good numbers we want to be able to do work i, I have part of my business is called a fractional cfo okay just because they're a teeny tiny business doesn't mean they shouldn't have a cfo but they certainly can't afford a full-time cfo so i have an mba in accounting and finance and i have clients where i meet an hour and a half to two hours a week, we go over the numbers, we go through different tasks like what's a good break even, what's your pricing strategy, what's your margins that you're achieving, how are you doing all of that. So I ask them the questions that they need to know so we can figure out, the big question is what's your sweet spot? Should you be getting more smaller jobs or bigger jobs? So I have clients that lose money on the small jobs because they're a big company. I have others that once they get a job over a certain point, they have no idea how to do it. So I don't care. Let's figure out what you do and let's do more. What, what do you do well and do more of that? And what don't you do very well and stop doing that? It's, it sounds very simple, but that's what the goal is. So it's not about them. diversifying, it's about... Right, absolutely. It's, you know, the whole jack of all trades. Some people are kitchen and bath remodelers and they do great. I had a guy that did that and then the, the client loved him and said, oh, can you do my custom home? And he's like, sure. And he did the numbers and it looked like he was going to make a fortune. And I'm like, no, it's not going to happen. Sorry, I just dropped my mic. Don't worry. So yes, it's, it, it's about, the other thing is, I went to a, a conference years ago and I went to a session that I hated because the title was Grow or Die. And I don't think you should grow. Maybe you should do less work, but only profitable work. The whole joke about what I lost in, in, in profit, I made up in volume, or, you know, if, take what you're doing now and make it work for you and then grow. Don't just say, we're not making enough money, 
let's sell more so we can actually leave more. So it's really getting a better understanding of where what's profitable, what's the best way to spend your time, and what works best for you as a country. So, did, so tell me about your book. Is that kind of... So, so my book is a business fable. It's okay. about a lovely remodeler and he gets his tax return and he owes a bunch of money to the IRS and he asks the age-old question, how can I owe money to the IRS when I have no money in my bank account? <laughs> so he has this bookkeeper who's kind of like a typical bookkeeper and he has this project manager and they butt heads and so it's really a business fable about how they can all get along but at the same time he learns about things like markup and margin and pricing change orders and pricing labor. So it's kind of written like a page turner but it has a lot of charts and graphs and it really helps bring down the language so it's not a textbook but it's a book so that you can understand what are the numbers you need to be looking at and how can you turn it's called the simple guide to turning a profit as a contract. That's awesome. That's awesome. So you still get selling your book on Amazon? It's available on Amazon and a lot yeah. So you've been in the industry for a little bit of time. Yes. What have you? What are some of the big changes you've seen from when you started to where we are now? So, <laughs> you know, I always joke that in America, what do you need to start a construction company? A truck and a dog. Yeah. <laughs> and they always make money the first year because there's no taxes and no insurance. But as companies grow, the regulations are such that they really have to toe the line. They really have to understand the numbers. The margins are tight. In fact, the biggest change, you know, I used to teach and say the biggest risk that you had is labor. When jobs fail, they go, the labor takes too long. The last two years when jobs fail, it's because you can't get the supplies. So companies have to really be able to pivot and turn quickly and say, how can we continue to do work when we've got, can't get the labor, we can't get the supplies, and and how do we continue to actually produce a product and make money? So that's really the big change. So what have you seen, what, how have you seen companies deal with that? So they have to have a big enough backlog where instead of wasting time because something isn't ready, they can pivot quickly and go from job to job and say, well, at least we can do this, at least we can do that. And to spend more time planning, contractors typically don't do a good job of planning but to pre-plan, order the windows, the cabinets ahead of time, make sure the concrete's available, make sure the adhesive is there before you go out to the job site and discover that you're short some supply that is no longer just sitting in the warehouse or at the supply yard for you to pick up. Gotcha. So you have they fared, have they dug through all of this? The they try. The contractors I work with have done very well. Gotcha. You know, the, the, uh, one of the classes I taught yesterday, I had a chart about pre-COVID and post-COVID who failed. So pre-COVID, the companies that failed the most, most were construction and restaurants. <laughs> COVID, uh -huh. restaurants, yes. construction thrived. Yes, absolutely. So construction thrived through COVID because much of it is essential, so it wasn't shut down. And people now all of a sudden had all this extra money. They didn't spend it on vacations. They said, let's remodel our home or let's fix things up. So construction has been on a high. I worry because the economy is a little bit difficult, but ride the high, sign the contracts, get the jobs going. And the more jobs you have, the more you can juggle the lack of supply chain or the lack of labor. Gotcha. 
Gotcha. Yeah, and that's what was my question too, because I've seen it a lot too. Contractors all over the country like started in late nineteen, early twenty, yeah. have had huge years. Do you see that continuing? Well, because because okay. <laughs> I've been around long enough, the world is cyclical. Yeah, things go up and they go down, just like my four hundred one k, which is quite down now. But if I can hold on to it long enough, it'll come back up. I've worked with contractors through the 2008-9-10 great recession. It wasn't very great. I've been around long enough to work with them in 93. So I've seen the cycles. So you have to be able, the, the one thing that contractors have to do is they have to build in enough profit on the profitable jobs to cover the unprofitable jobs and to cover the lean times. So now you're busy. I always, first thing I ask in all the sessions I teach is how many of you are busy? A lot of people have raised their hand. Everybody keep your hands up. How many of you have raised your rates? Oh good, everybody. You know, it's the law of supply and demand. If you're busy, charge more. I say, how would you like to make 10% more money? Oh, yeah. <laughs> how would you like to make 10% more money because you work 10% more hours and you have to work 10% harder? Yes. No. <laughs> Maybe what you do is do the same work you're doing now, but charge more. Do less work and charge more, you'll actually make more money. So if you're busy, raise your rates. And if you don't get the job, it opens you up to get a job that you'll actually make more on. Do you see guys be successful with that strategy? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so what were some kind of the key things that you helped your contractors make it through the thin times? So making it through the thin times is important. Never lower your price to buy a job because then you have to do more work to keep the same amount of money. Like one of the sessions I showed an interesting chart from 2010 and it, it was a trade association uh, survey. And there were companies that made money, broke even and lost money. I would have thought that companies made money had a bigger margin on jobs and the companies that lost money, lost money on jobs. When you look at the math, they all had the same margin on jobs. The companies that lost money didn't keep their overhead expanded or contracted based on their volume. So the companies that lost money still had profitable work, they didn't have enough work to cover their overhead. So I always say, you have to take a look at your overhead. Don't just look at your jobs and you know, cut slashing your prices to get more work. Continue to do the work profitably, but make sure that your overhead is in line with your volume. As tight as possible. As tight, yes. So I know you were teaching some classes here at World of Concrete. What other what other some topics do you address in your classes? So I taught I taught a class of twenty five ways to improve profits. Okay. It was a lot of fun and I zipped through those. I've been focusing on a couple of things. Uh, one is to manage chain work. Okay. You know, my motto is, you're probably doing it anyway. You might as well get paid for <laughs> exactly. it, right? <laughs> so manage change work. And that's one way to improve profits is to actually get paid for all the work. Gotcha. Another one is to manage supervisory, supervise, super, supervision. I can say the word. Yeah. So track it. So many times, uh, I was actually part of a survey years ago that said, where do you go over budget general conditions? Gotcha. Every time. Yes. So find a way to deal with that. But the other session I'm doing this afternoon, which is exciting, is a roundtable uh, and workshop about women in construction. 
that's very exciting. So that's exciting. Um, Are you, you seeing know, more women? I am seeing more women. And, you know, it used to be I was uh, a member of a group called Maywick National yep. Association yep. of Women in Construction. And it was all bookkeepers because <laughs> that's what the women were. But now there are women that are in the field. And now there are women engineers and there are women uh, inspectors. And so uh, really trying to help women gain a footing and be able to gain the respect that they need. The one thing I've often found as a woman in a, in a typically male-dominated industry is that men are given respect automatically before they open their mouth. But they can lose it once they open their mouth. I have to fight for respect, but when I can show them that I know what I'm doing, they really respect. Oh, absolutely! But it, it is that that I have that, to do yeah that, that they don't they automatically don't know. And like you start using their lingo, and then they're like, okay, now you're legitimate. You know? Yes. <laughs> it's like it's like yes. But as where you're talking to like something that some guy that knows nothing about construction is already pre qualified. Right. I, I mean, I always teach estimating, and I teach hold downs, whatever that is. No. <laughs> but yes, you have to learn the lingo, and then you have to prove. But once you really can gain that respect, you it's it's a really tight bond. And here's the thing that like everybody's like all excited about this new women in construction. I'm like, women have always been always. Who do you think made the men better and collected the money and did all the other stuff? Right. <laughs> you know, it's like I've been in family businesses and it's always most times in the construction it's a small family business. It's a husband and wife team that started it. You know, and it just like we've always been here. Now we're taking even more right. active role, which right. I'm excited to see. Yeah, very excited to see. So you did say 25 ways to increase your profits. Okay. Tell me like three or four of those. Your top well, one was the change orders. Gotcha. One is to understand and account for labor burden and know how much it costs to take an employee and put them in the field. Typically, if you do the math, whatever you pay somebody, let's say I pay them 30 bucks an hour, they typically take home half of that. Mm -hmm. by the time taxes are taken out and it typically costs you double that or actually three times that when you put in your burden. So I have a spreadsheet where I take somebody that's 30 bucks an hour and I show that to put them out in the field it's $90 an hour if you burden them with all of the costs associated with having an employee. And I actually teach another class called uh, Managing Subs in Today's Gig Economy. Okay. And don't be blinded by saying, well, you know, the sub's charging me 110 bucks an hour, my employee's only 30. Yeah, but you don't have to pay for your sub when you're not busy, and you don't have to pay for their truck and their health. And maybe the 110 is cheaper than having your employee do it. So growing your business through subcontractors is an option as long as you can create a good relationship, pay them quickly, that's exactly. the other Absolutely. things, and make them on your side. Absolutely. Because when the phone rings, when, when their phone rings, you want them to be answering your call, not somebody else's. Gotcha, so if you could, like somebody comes to you, I'm gonna start a construction company. What is, like, how do you set them up for success, ideally? <laughs> so as opposed to the guys that come to you three years in and say, three years in and say <laughs> what did I do wrong? Well, so as I said in the beginning, you know, when I first started and I worked with a small, a small company, I'll say, you know, how much have you spent on this job? Oh, we're about 47000 into it. And then you work for hours with a bookkeeper trying to get the books all set up, and it's 49000 or 43000 They have that gut feeling. So what I would say is you start out correctly from the beginning. Get good systems. Whether you're doing one job or 100 jobs, you got to get a contract. you got to have a process for change orders. you got to have a process for billing got to make sure that you do everything above board 
don't hire people under the table, don't do things that will come back and bite you. So start and say, I'm going to go legit from day one. Exactly. And like have it, you know, you might not know everything, but have a plan on how to figure it out. I can remember when I, when our husband, my husband and I started our material supply company, we had an Excel spreadsheet for our invoices. Oh my God, it was a disaster. <laughs> it's like looking back, like, I don't even know how we made it. <laughs> yeah. And all the resources that are out here now. Yes. Help everybody. So, um, and again, just because you're a teeny tiny company, you can't afford a full-time HR manager, but if you hire a receptionist, a receptionist, they don't know HR. You can, there's all these companies out there that can be your part-time HR and your part-time accounting and your part-time legal. And all of the, those things that a giant company has, you still need to do, but at a much smaller scale. Absolutely, absolutely. And then someone like you, I think it's hugely important to helping them watch the numbers and, and watch the books. Because as you know, most of these guys get into the industry because they love what they do, right. actually. Right. And then very quickly they realize they have to do all of these other things. So I was talking about that. You have to learn how to stop doing and start managing. Yeah. Yeah. And how do you help people get into that role? Well, you know, one of the things I do is I try and teach them how to not answer questions. That's an interesting perspective. What do you give? Do they give the question to somebody else, or what? Do they so do? when their field crew is asking questions all day long, and you know the answer right away, and you give it to them, uh -huh. all you're training them is to not do anything before they ask you questions. You say, you know what? What do you think is the way we should do it? Or why don't you research it and then in a couple, yeah, let me know in a couple of minutes we'll figure it out or a couple of hours or a couple of days. You figure it out because you have to be able to give them the tools to do their work instead of handicapping them so that they're just kind of, you're trying to create a clone of yourself, which never works. That's a great perspective. I mean, like in any field, like I'm like, man, how many text messages I got from the office, office today? What do you think? Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Managing people too, this is hard and gentle. Yes. Oh, much harder. You know, I always say my, my sister was a big wig at a bank and she managed really well. And I realized the reason she managed so well, because one time it's like international bank transfers and one time it's general electric. The reason she was such a good manager is she didn't know how to do anything. <laughs> she just knew how to manage it. Yeah. So then she would let the people who were doing do it and she would manage that process. The problem with contractors, they often know how to do. One of my most successful contractors has a degree in business and he worked in the summer kind of as a carpenter, but he was never a full-fledged contractor. And when he started his business, he started his business because he was starting the business side of it. And he wasn't constantly like, oh, I need to go out in the field and fix this problem and fix that problem. Yeah. So, you know, that's where you're trying to come in and, and say, yes, it's a business. It's a construction business. You got to focus on the construction. You got to find people to do that because you have to focus on the construction. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm business. Yeah, exactly. And the one other thing I always say is feel free to delegate, but don't abdicate any responsibility. What do you mean by that? You know, I've got guys who I'm like, well, let's look at their financials. Oh, I don't, I don't look at those. I'll let the bookkeeper do it all. Gotcha. No, you should. You need to look at it. Let's find a way to look at it. So, yeah, you don't have to do the bookkeeping, but you and so you can delegate that, but don't abdicate the responsibility for having good numbers. of knowing what's going on and knowing what's going on. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. That's a lot of good information. So, is there anything else you think we need to add? They contractor. I mean, there's so many things, but what do you think is most important? 
Well, I think, you know, contractors by nature are optimistic. Otherwise, they'd never get into this business. <laughs> but keep that optimism and spend the time. You know, I know we're so busy and we get run ragged, but set aside time. So whether it's a couple of hours in the morning, you know, there's a great book that says, don't answer your email in the morning. I can't, I think something like yeah, that. No, yeah. But there's a great, you know, set aside the time and I'm stealing work, you know, no. work on the business instead of in, in, the business, in the business. But set aside that time to really stop and say, where do I want to be? How did I get here? What is my sweet spot? What can I do differently? Absolutely. Because, I mean, I mean, I was there as a business owner. It's like you're just working every day. All the doors open. Yes. And there's no long-term plan. Yes. And it's like, really, why am I doing this? Right. Right. And if you're thinking about an exit strategy, start day one. Gotcha. What, you want, what do you want to do? Because there's... <laughs> There's different, 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 things. Yeah. different ways of setting up your business. So you exit like selling it or? Well, a lot of contractors think they can sell their business and they can't. Because they don't have processes? They don't have processes and there's no barrier to entry. Why should I come to you as successful business when I'm arrogant enough to think I could just start my own? So, you know, then you have, there's the thing called liquidation strategy or, you know, build a cash cow. cow one of the things is to build personal wealth through corporate dollars. So there are a lot of different strategies, but constantly think about them. Because I have so many contractors that are aging. There aren't a lot coming up through the ranks. No, I agree. Their kids aren't interested, and they're like, now what am I going to do? And they just end up sh shutting the windows down, or shutting, shutting the doors down. But they have to be able to pull down enough equity so that they, they can, can live, live exactly. in retirement. Awesome. Well, this has been great, Leslie. I really appreciate oh, having you on the show. Fun chatting with you. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, guys. We'll catch you next time on the podcast. Hey, guys. This is Carolyn Cromans. Thank you for listening to an episode of the Quickening Screwed Podcast from the World of Concrete. Hey, guys, if you need help, liens, collections, contracts, we do it all. We do it in all 50 states for a flat fee and a predictable time frame. If you want to know more, reach out to us on our website, thecromanslawfirm.com, which is in the show notes. Thanks. Well, you're joining, kid.